0: You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. You know, football players have really cool nicknames. Have, Have you ever noticed that? I, I thought that we would maybe do a little nickname challenge here we're gonna you're gonna see some of the football players nicknames and I want you to call out what their real name is and so let's bring up the first one prime time who was prime time Dion Sanders next one. Broadway Deion. Joe Namath next one the Minister of Defense anybody know Reggie White, yes, Reggie White. The Refrigerator, William Perry, one of my favorites. Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch, I know some of you struggle with that. Next one, Sweetness, Walter Payton. Next one, Sons of Thunder, anybody know who the Sons of Thunder was? Let's bring it up. Apostles James and John. <laughs> if they played football, that was going to be their nickname. And we've been in a series called All In, and we're talking about walking with God and about our commitment. And within this series, and we're doing a series within a series called All In, Follow the Leader, and we've been looking at the apostles. And last week we talked about Andrew, and Andrew was the inviter. And we talked about looking for opportunities to invite others to church, to invite, look for opportunities to invite others into relationship, to to pray for them. And, and today we're looking at James, the apostle of passion. And Mark chapter three verse seventeen says this: James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them what? Sons of thunder. Why did Jesus nickname them, the sons of thunder? What is thunder? Thunder is loud, you just can't miss it. And I picture if James was playing in the big game tonight, and he's on defense, and he's calling over to Brady, saying, thunder's coming, thunder's coming. And I just picture him breaking through the line, and putting this huge hit on Tom Brady, and the whole stadium can hear it. He's the son of thunder. He, James is passionate. He's loud. They have thunderous personalities. If he was in the room, you, you heard him. He just had that effect. Anybody have a nickname growing up? Yes, a, a few of you had nicknames. I, I've told you this before, but In college, I ended up developing this nickname. It was, people began calling me Dirty Ronnie. And it wasn't because I didn't shower, I promise you, I showered. But on the basketball court, we played intramurals, and and I had limited ability. And so I had to come up with tactics to kind of neutralize the opponent. And so I was known to maybe pull some people's shorts from time to time. I, I might untie their shoes if I had the opportunity. And God blessed me with a nice big backside so I could move people out of the way. And sometimes when they would shoot, I might kind of bring up my shirt. I'm not going to do that to you. I don't want you to lust. But I mean, I would, I would do that, and that was a pretty big distraction. And, and so one of my friends began seeing some of my tactics to try to uh, play basketball. and. And they began to say, man, that's dirty. And next thing you know, I got this name, Dirty Ronnie. And people would start chanting Dirty Ronnie when I would do something that was somewhat questionable, you know? And so, but, but, but whatever it takes. Well, well, James has this nickname, Sons of Thunder, and I think that he got it because he was passionate. Actually, James was the son of Zebedee. It was a prominent family in, the, in Galilee. And they were most likely wealthy. They had servants. They also had access to the high priest. If you remember, during the, in John chapter 18, the, uh, John was allowed to uh, go into the courtyard because he had access to the high priest uh, when Peter wasn't allowed to. James and his brother uh, John worked with the fishing, fishing company, Zebedee's and sons. And, and one day they were out on sea. They were catching fish. They would sell the, the fish in the market. And, and Matthew chapter 4 tells us this. When we see that they received an invitation that changed the trajectory of their entire life. It says, a little further up on shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing the nets. And he called them to come, too, And they immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. And Jesus gives this invitation to come and follow. And so James and John they they go and follow Jesus, they observe his teaching, they see his many miracles. And they broke bread together, they ate together, they lived together. If there was a big game, they would probably be attending that or watching that on TV and, and having a good time. And, and at that point in time, I, I think that Jesus would have definitely seen the passion that James had. The, the Bible actually never fully explains this interesting nickname. But we can see the cause of it in the lives of these two men. Let me look, let's look at two, t- or two passages. First of all, Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 40. Let me kind of summarize the passage. There was some people out there that were casting out demons in Jesus' name. And so James and John go up to him and said, Hey, you can't do that because you're not part of our group. I mean, we're disciples of Jesus. You can't be using Jesus' name to do that. Knock it off. And and so they tell Jesus that, and Jesus is like, hey, he actually rebukes James and John. But my point here is, you see that James and John, they're very protective of Jesus and his name. They're passionate. They're dedicated to following Jesus, even though sometimes they got off track. Sometimes their passion was not always in the right place. The second story is in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. and We're going to see that it was around Passover. At that time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, and Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Remember, they didn't have phone service. They didn't have Internet. You couldn't just go make a reservation at any place, and so he sent messengers. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to where? To Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down what? Fire from heaven to burn them up. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went to another village. And Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem for his final Passover. Many people, hundreds of people were traveling. And so there wasn't a lot of accommodations. And so he sent messengers ahead. They were supposed to secure a place for them to stay. But we see things didn't work out as was planned. And just a little information about the Samaritans. They were a mixed race of Jews and Assyrians. They established their worship center on Mount Gerizim. And in Jesus' time, Jews hated the Samaritans and equated them on the same level as dogs. The Samaritans did not associate with the Jews either. So you, you had this hate. You had this tension. And on this occasion this uh, Samaritans refused to allow Jesus safe passage because they knew where Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem and again Mount Gerizim not Jerusalem was their center of worship and so they said no you can't do this James and John hear about this and they're mad they're angry they don't like anyone disrespecting Jesus and so they're like Elijah they're asking God to call down heaven or call down fire down on these people no mercy man just take them out zap them out They're not being kind to Jesus. They had passion, even though it was misplaced, even though Jesus had to rebuke them from time to time. James was all in. He was committed to Jesus. We come, we fast forward, and we come to the end of James' at least earthly story, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Remember, this is the one place in Scripture where James appears alone from his brother, John. He, they always were together, but this, this is the only place that they're separate. And there's very few details about James' uh, death Uh, Scripture just says that it was by Herod and it was by the sword, and so basically he was beheaded. Uh, I suspect it was because of his personality that he was loud, that it was easy to kind of pick on someone who was vocal. It's significant that James was the first of the apostles to be killed. James is the only apostle whose death is actually recorded in Scripture. Scripture. Eusebius, one of the early church fathers, gives us a little bit of details about his death. And he says that someone accused James of some kind of wrongdoing, most likely being a Christian. And James began to give his testimony. He began to preach about Jesus. This person who made this accusation heard this testimony and began to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. At this point in time, this person, too, was arrested, just like James. They were headed for execution, and, and this man ended up pleading with James to forgive him, and, and James says, "Peace to you, peace to thee," and then he forgave, or then he forgave him and, and gave him a kiss on the cheek. It was moments later that not only James but James's accuser was beheaded. All the way up to his death. He was preaching, and he was passionate about Jesus. I I want us to to take a few moments and and think about the things that we're passionate about in culture. What are some of the things that we're passionate about in culture? You just kind of name some of those off. What are some of the things? Football, Football. yeah. We're definitely about football. I mean, you, you think, how many people are going to be watching the game tonight? And even if you don't watch the game, you're going to watch the commercials or you're at least going to eat some junk food tonight. I mean, we surround and we get passionate. We buy jerseys and we watch sports, period, football, sports, basketball, you name it. What else? Phones. Yeah, we're passionate about phones. We always have to be checking them and and seeing things, right? What else? Social media. Yeah, some of us live on social media and, and trying to have the perfect life that we kind of present on social media. What else? Politics. Politics. Yeah, there's some of you that are very passionate about politics. What else? Justice. Justice. Okay, passionate about justice. Food. Food. Yeah, I like to eat food. I'm passionate about eating food. Some of you are good cooks. Uh, I'm on the other side. I like to eat. Well, what else? Animals. Animals. Some of you are very passionate about your animals. We're in Texas, I think I can say this, some of you are passionate about your guns, right? I, I hear about, about that quite often. What else? Diet. Hmm? Diet. Diet. Not tonight. We're not talking about <laughs> diets tonight. Some of you are passionate about your kids or your grandkids. Some of you are passionate about sleep. You never saw a nap that you didn't like. We're passionate about all of these things, and, and as I was looking at passion, I discovered that the word enthusiasm comes from a Greek word, entheos. Theos is God. And so when we're enthusiastic, it simply means that you are full of who? You're full of God. You get up in the morning and you're excited about the future because you realize that each day is a gift of God. Now, some of you have to have your coffee first before you feel that way, but, but, but you realize each day is a gift of God. You have a spring in your step. You're passionate about life. And I'm not talking about being extroverted, but I'm just saying you have this passion. You have this, this feeling inside. That you realize, man, God has blessed us. The, the, God has given us a new day. My heart's beaten that, that I'm excited about what God's going to do in my life and in my family's life. And Joe Osteen tells a story that I heard this week. He was watching Captain Sullenberger land on the Hudson River. Some of you remember this story, the miracle of the Hudson. All 155 people survived. And, and there was a reporter that asked this passenger, a man that had been rescued, and what he thought about it. And he was soaking wet, he was freezing cold, he was a little bit frazzled. But he had this incredible glow about him, and with an excitement in his voice, and he said this. He told the reporter, I was alive before, but now I'm really alive. Some of us have had those experiences that you think, man... I could have died. One of my friends is a, is a sheriff's deputy and back in Arkansas, and, and he was telling the story just a month ago or so. He was sitting uh, behind an 18-wheeler that was supposed to be towed away. It, it was icy outside, and he said, next thing you know, he this, hears this huge explosion where this truck or went out of control and ended up hitting the tow truck. And it was just inches away from his SUV. And he said, man, I got out of my SUV and just thank God for another day of life. He said, I went home and I kissed my son and I kissed my wife. And sometimes I think that we we forget about the blessing of living. In, In your journals, I want you to write this question down. Are you really alive? Are you passionate about the life that God has given you? Do you get up every morning with enthusiasm, pursuing your dreams? Yes, we have some down days, and yes, life gets hard. But in general, are you enthusiastic? Do you realize that God's living with inside of you, that you have the Holy Spirit, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to do great things? Or are you stuck in a rut, going through the motions, and letting the pressure of life weigh you down? There's a lot of people that are stuck in a rut. There's a lot of people that are going through the motions. But I think James, when I look at James' life, he challenges us to have passion. Here's the second question that I I want you to, to ask. Where is God meeting you in your passion? Now, we know there's good passions, we know there's bad passions, and we know that Jesus Christ should be our first passion. But God also gives us the ability to have other passions, other things that we love. And so, what is it that you do in your life that you love, that you really care about, And how can that meet up with God's plan for your life? If you like golf, if that is your passion, then who can you invite to play golf with you that you can point to Christ? If you like fishing, who can you invite to go fishing with you that you can build relationships with and bring glory to God? Whatever that blank blank is, whatever you're passionate about, think, man, how can God meet that passion that I have to point people to Christ? How can I grow in my relationship with let me end with this story. Pastor Dutch Sheets tells the story of a four-year-old woman who was having open-heart surgery. And she basically had one of her arteries blocked and basically what we call bypassed surgery. And she went in and, and the surgery starts and, and if you're not familiar with the surgery, basically what they do is and they have a machine and they, they basically stop the main artery and, and they put the, they uh, basically put a machine there that pumps blood and helps your lungs work while they're working on the heart, while they're putting that stent in or doing that bypass and, and the heart actually stops beating during the surgery. And once the operation is over, though, they remove the machine and normally the warmth of the blood comes through and it causes the heart to start beating. If not, then they normally give a little bit of medicine and normally everything goes as planned. But with this lady on the operating table, the bypass was finished. They removed the machine, but for some reason her blood didn't cause her heart to wake up. And there was no heartbeat. So the doctor gives some medicine. No heartbeat. The doctor gives some more medicine, no heartbeat. The doctor gave another medicine, no heartbeat. He begins to massage the heart, doing everything he can to stimulate that muscle, but no heartbeat. After doing everything he medically could do, he leaned over to the patient and whispered these words into her ear. Mary, this is the doctor. I've done everything I can do. Now I need you to tell your heart to beat again. And he stepped back, and a couple of seconds, he heard this bump, bump, bump. And then her heart kicked in and started beating again. Some of you, you've been dealing with disappointments. Life hasn't turned out the way that you had hoped for. You could easily just sit on the sidelines. You could easily just give up. And some of you, maybe you're a little burned out. Some of you feel like you've lost your passion. Some of you feel like you've went through the motions. But maybe God's telling some of you today, you need to tell your heart to beat again. You need to tell your heart to dream again. You need to tell your heart to believe again. You know, the thing that's holding you back from being all in to being fully committed is you've lost that passion. And and I just hope that we can ignite your passion, that you can get excited. You don't have to always be bubbly. You don't have to beat someone over the head with a Bible. But you can have this internal peace. You can have this passion for Christ that you wake up and say, man, God, what are you going to teach me today? How can I be used by you today? Lord, I'm your vessel. I'm all in. I'm fully committed.